everybody here today. At the beginning, I was worried that you guys had heard about it was going to be on fasting. And I thought we may have a fast of not too many people here. Now, today, this comes from a conversation that I was basically having with Rami a few years ago. This passage in Matthew 6, if you want to go ahead and turn there, speaks of a fast. And it's a very small portion of this one verse in Matthew 6, 16, where it says, Whenever you fast, and it goes on to say, Do not put on gloomy faces as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance, so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. It's that small portion where, when it says, whenever you fast, that he brought up to me. And I realized, as I started to struggle with this and had many more conversations with them about it, that I wasn't actually understanding what a full fast and a full prayer is. It's a deeper understanding of the prayer life. And it's something that's not preached from the pulpits very often. So today, I hope to inform you and encourage you to start your struggle of fasting um, and pr- in your pr- own prayer life as it is. But I want to back up first and talk about what is preached from the pulpit quite a bit, and that's a repetitious, uh, the repetition of our prayers, seeking God during these times as well. So if you'll turn with me to Luke 18, 1 through 5, we're going to look at the repetition itself. For it says, it's a parable that Jesus is telling. It says in 1 of chapter 18, Now he was telling them a parable to show that all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. So this guy is not a believer. He's not one of the chosen people. Yet there was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. So somebody's bothering her. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Now that's preached in the pulpit today. That's encouraged to keep coming to God with your uh, petitions and your prayers. And it says, The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Nor will not God bring about justice for his elect who carry to him day and night. And will he delay long over them? So in other words, he's telling us here, God is hearing our prayers. As we know he does. Yet, Pick up on this. It points us to the hope of that prayer being answered. In in 8, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, our faith, sometimes it needs to be transformed to the eternal perspective. Whenever Jesus comes back, that is our promise where he'll answer it all at that time. These These small little things that we consider very burdensome at the time may be very small to him, and he can use those for his glory. And just like it says there, Jesus points out, keep taking those prayers to him. I know in Luke 11, 5 through 10, we see another parable 
of such a repetition as well. And it's talking about that of the neighbor needing some bread. And it says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Again, it talks about the repetition. Yet, it's within the fasting, sometimes our mind is transformed to these things. In the repetition, I brought an example, as I like to do, so it sticks in your mind a little bit more. And Rebecca let me borrow another one of her toys. It's a bigger one this time. Right, But we can see a door, and we can see a window, and we can see how asking God, maybe day and night, Hey God, I have this request of you. Please, Lord, answer me. And we keep bugging him, and he opens the window and says, Okay, I'll give you a little bit. Yet, I'm going to try to explain to you today how fasting actually sometimes is a little bit louder than just a knock. It's more of a, God, I need you. Please listen to me. And sometimes he doesn't answer, but in that time, our minds can be transformed to what he wants it to be. And he may show us during that time of weariness because we are actually fasting and seeking him even more that he will give us understanding. So today I'm going to actually hope, or I'm hoping to actually show you within the passages of Scripture how fasting is tag-teamed with the prayer. And you know as well as I do, whenever you're fasting, you pray a lot more too because you get hungry and you're reminded that you, your body needs that food and we seek God even more. <clears throat> so turn to me with, to Esther 4. 13 through 17. As you turn here, I want to go ahead and talk about how Esther and the Jewish people were in diaspora diaspora in Ethiopia at this time. And that the king, <coughs> during this time, had already put to death his, his queen before Queen Esther, or before Esther became queen, for bothering him during some of his kingly duties. So taking on times whenever he would meet with the elders or meet with people, she bothered him and pretty much had her done away with. Yet during this time, somebody named Haman, which I'm used to having everybody say, boo, when I say Haman, um, had risen up in the king's court, and he was a legal authority, and he did not like the Jews. He was going as far as to say, if you do not do what I say, I'm going to do away with the Jewish people in this time. And so this is where this portion of the scripture 
that we're going to look at today talks about between Mordecai and Esther. And she's already became the queen during this time. And Mordecai was grieving. And remember, Esther was probably in the palace, not seeing a lot of this go on. So Mordecai sent something to Esther saying, you know, this is about to happen. He's about to destroy us here. And Esther replies, you know, the king is actually, um, he's doing other things. And you know what happened to the last queen. Let's look what it says in 4.13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Sometimes we're put in situation, guys, that God has allowed us to be able to be where we're at to help somebody else during that time. And so we need to be on the alert and be aware of what God can use us in and what he's prepared us for. So then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go in to the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. So for three days they had fasted and they had prayed. And she's basically saying, If you're going to take my life, God, so be it. But I must do this for you. And yet what do they do? They petition God in fasting and in prayer. Many repetitions of prayer during that time, I would imagine. Asking for God's favor for Esther. Another book I want to point out during fasting and prayer is actually in Jonah chapter 3. While you guys are turning there, I want to remind you that during these times of group fasting and prayer, it's not customary for the people um, who are pregnant or nursing to fast. But there are ways that you can adapt it. People over the age of 60 are not required to fast during these times. But they would be praying and maybe adapting it. I know Kara has adapted it during Yom Kippur from time to time. <clears throat> Just not eating something that would naturally be in on her plate during those times. So there's ways to show God that you're more serious and you're seeking after His faith and petitioning Him. Now, as you know, Jonah had no desire to go to Nineveh. Yet, God made sure he got there, as we all know. <clears throat> and during this time, this is the part where Nineveh actually relents and turns back to God. Nineveh was not filled with Jewish people. It was filled with Gentiles. So, amazing enough, they had already known all the customs. And because Jonah warned them, you can see what they're about to do here. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. I haven't taken that next step with sackcloth yet. I, I, I don't know if I will. I know today they have sackcloth. They have a jacket that's sackcloth on the outside and cotton on the inside. I don't think that's what they're doing here. 
But it says, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. So in other words, even the king in the highest court at this point was saying, I'm going to do away with everything that makes me comfortable because I want to make sure that we don't die as Jonah had warned of them. So he issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Now, they're making sure not even the animals at this time are doing it. If they're not going to, you know, they're all going to make sure that they're under the same God and the same uh, proclamations. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let man call on God earnestly, that each man turn from his wicked way, from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. There are stories that we're going to continue to look at today where God's people chose to fast and pray and put on sackcloth. These are not gifts from the Lord. They're actually... Um, things we have to practice. They're disciplines that we must put on. And if we're going to be serious about our prayer life, we must practice these things. And as you grow, you'll have a greater understanding of what God's will is. So here we also see Nineveh fasting and praying during this time. Now, you can later on, if you want to look at Joel, we'll see fasting and prayer going on there as well. But right now, I want to go ahead and turn to fasting and prayer in the individual family life, uh, as it's pointed out within the scripture. So 2 Samuel 12, if you'll turn there with me, you'll see that it's not always within the group thought, the group mindset. You'll see here, David is fasting, for Nathan had already warned him of what God had intended to do with his son. Yet I want to take a pause here and let you know that I think David David was doing, he'd already known all the scriptures and everything that was going on. He had heard the stories of the people of God turning God to relenting from what he had said. But David was in a place where everybody could see what he had already done. And God warned that he was going to take David's son at this point. Yet, what do we see? We can learn something from David here. And David teaches within these passages. It says, So Nathan went to to his house and basically warned him what God was about to do. It says, Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David, so that he may be, may, he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. Have, you, have any of you guys ever tried to sleep outside of your bed on Yom Kippur? This is something that you may try to do. It makes you very uncomfortable, I can tell you. I've, it's not something that you want to try very often because you'll wake up with a stiff back. Yet, we see here that David is doing just that. He's on the ground. 
probably prostrate before the Lord. And he says, The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground. But he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day. So in other words, he's doing this for seven days. That the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was still living, we spoke to him. He did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead? Since he might do himself harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I've fasted, I'm ready to eat at the point of ending that fast. Yet, what do we see here? David makes sure that nobody other than his servants basically has seen him fasting and praying during this time. And he goes and washes up. Why? Because those petitions and prayer are between him and God. So he anoints himself and he comes into the house and worships the almighty God. And it goes on here. We're going to see that David's hope is in that eternal perspective. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. This his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. Now the custom in the Jewish mindset is when somebody passes away, they may not eat for two or three days. Yet David is doing just the opposite. He's petitioning God and trying to ask for relenting, of what had been spoken by Nathan. So they're kind of confused on what's going on here. And David said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. For I said, Who knows the Lord? Maybe he will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. We taught last week on the hope of resurrection. And again, it's right there in our face. Looking at David's fasting and prayer, David has that hope of that eternal. Because he will go and be with that child again. right? And we saw how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And the glory was among them at that time. And so, here we see that again. Yet we see an individual, David, fasting and asking God to answer his prayers. And he did not. Now, I want you to turn to Daniel 9 at this time. I also want to let you know, if you decide to take this path and you decide to start to struggle with fasting and prayer, go slowly in it. It's not something that you want to start doing and set aside two or three days of no eating and just drinking water. You want to take it slow, maybe half a day of fasting if you're used to eating breakfast. Take it easy. Your body needs to get used to this. As I talked to Rami, he said he laughed at that one verse as I pointed out earlier. Because he said, you know, over in the Middle East, they fast two or three times a week for certain things. Not us. We're big and fat and sassy Americans. We, we get to choose what we eat from day to day. Yet, for many, 
across the world. They don't get to choose. They just get whatever is in front of them that day. But that is the point. You have to work up to this if you're not used to it. Our bodies aren't used to this. But we are used to praying. So make sure you're petitioning God in the, in the petitious way, always going to him. But I also want to say this before we read Daniel. When you do this, if you so choose to start to fast and pray, be aware that he's going to be more present to you. My own walk over the past few years and my own struggle through this is that God has been there more and let me know that he was there. And it wasn't always that he answered my prayers. It was that he transformed my mind into his. So know that he is always with us. And these are things that we can do to be closer to him. Daniel 9, 20 through 22 says this. Now, if I was Daniel, I would be kind of scared, but Daniel had a very close relationship that I hope to get to someday in his practices. It says, Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, Then the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instructions and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. And the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued. At the beginning of his supplication, what's his supplication? He's praying and fasting. Now, let me just make it a point here, too. If I was praying, I would hope that the angel would let me know to open my eyes so I could see, because if I had a tap on my shoulder, I might get a little frightened. And if I knew jujitsu, I'd probably want to throw him. And I don't want to, you know, all these things going through my mind. And it says, And I have come to you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Daniel had seen the visions of revelation, the the visions of what was going to transpire, and he was troubled by these. So what did he do? He did what he knew best. He started to fast and pray. Now, I'm going to point out how long right here in chapter 10, it says, verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, had mourning, I had been mourning for three entire weeks. For 21 days, we can see Daniel here was fasting. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any anointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. That's a long time. I promise you, don't start that way. You want to take it easy as you go, and you start in this discipline of faith. Yet we can see here by Daniel's um, closeness to God. He is practicing this. And in 10.10 says, Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand that words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, 
For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. So for 21 days, Daniel was fasting, and he was praying, and he was seeking God. And I'm sure by the first week, he was saying, Are you listening here, Lord? Why? Many of us seek God's wisdom, and His pet- we put our petitions before Him day in, day out. Some of us for years on the same thing. And yet, God needs to transform our mind, because maybe it's not going to happen that way. But in that eternal perspective, we have that hope. And here, Daniel, we can see he is very close to God in that way. So again, you see the fasting and you see the prayer, and it's noticed within the angel speaking about his supplications and it being noticed. I encourage you to take note, look at this, and start to wonder what it would be like if you start to fast and pray and not just have that continual prayer, but also fasting alongside with it. Now, Matthew 6, going back to the New Testament. Our own Messiah speaks and teaches us about fasting and prayer, how it should be done. Darissa read earlier on how prayer should be done in silence. What's Jesus say here? Matthew 6, 6 is what he's talking about within the prayer. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now let's go on and look about the fasting. It says, whenever you fast, again, that small little piece, whenever you fast, do not put on gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men. When they are fasting, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right there, paralleled right up top, where Jesus is talking about doing it in secret, he talks about fasting. Our Messiah is pointing to this fast whenever you're seeking Him. Let's look. Even Jesus can be seen going away and praying in secret in Luke 5. In Luke 5, 16, it says, But Jesus Himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. He needed to seek His Father during these times. I want to tell you, along with this fasting and doing it in secret, you don't always need to tell your spouse what you're doing. When you're praying, sometimes it's helpful to have that communal prayer, and that way you can get that that support from your spouse. But during this part, when you're fasting, you don't need to tell your bride. You don't need to tell your husband. Do it on your own. Let that be between you and the Lord. Trust me when I say those answers and that transformation of your mind will happen when you're practicing this discipline of fasting and praying. Now, I don't encourage you to fast and not let your wife know for dinner time because if she's made a nice dinner, you don't want to say, oh, I don't, I'm not ready to eat at that time. You don't want to offend somebody either. 
Yet, if you go till one or two o'clock during the day and you're working and you're, as you're working, you're praying more often, nobody else is going to know what you're doing if you're taking those moments in silence at work and you're not eating till one or two. For lunch, you're having it at two and you're acknowledging that you're breaking the fast now, Lord, and lifting those petitions up to Him. So we have Jesus pointing out how to do the prayer and fasting. And now in Luke 5, through 35, we see how Jesus is pointing and telling how his disciples will fast one day. For Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and they were saying, they, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And right above it talks about how the Pharisees had come to him and said, John's disciples, the Pharisees all fast and do what basically Moses and the prophets were pointing to. Yet Jesus says, as far as the bridegroom is here, they cannot fast right now. But the time will come when the bridegroom is away. They will fast. They've been told they will fast. This isn't a matter of if you fast. It's a matter of when you fast. These passages, there's many, many more within the scriptures of fasting and praying. I encourage you not to just stop here. I encourage you to seek God repetitiously with your prayers, but take it a step further that he may know that you're not just knocking at the door at 9 and 3 o'clock, that you're actually saying, God, I need your help. And I'm willing to sacrifice in my fasting, in my desire for hunger. Because I need you now. I'm serious about this, Lord. That's a way that we can show Him and seek Him even more is by the prayer and fasting of our life. So, church, not just here, but across the Western hemispheres, understand We have to seek Him. If you think you don't have to be more serious, there's nothing more serious. Our brothers and sisters in the Lord are dying in Egypt right now because of their faith. We need healing among the people in the Disciple Center here today that deserve some fasting and some prayer. I know we say it, and sometimes it becomes just something we say I'll pray for you I am praying for you but when you take it to the Lord and you take it that next step and you it's between you and him he's going to open your eyes and he's going to know that you're more serious I just pray that you take it and you start to take that discipline of fasting along with that prayer weekly and daily with you And become more serious in that prayer life if you desire to know him even more. Let's go to him in prayer today.